0: Hey New Legacy Linden. This is me, Ann Johnson, your pastor. Today I'm recording my sermon in the in my living room and the girls are downstairs playing and I told them that I could even hear their breathing in the recording. So they ran downstairs. Another week in quarantine, another week of social distancing. And I will be perfectly honest with you. Um, I've, I'm have i experiencing ebbs and flows of my feelings. And I just wanna affirm you that th- if you are also feeling the weight of the loss and the grief um, mixed with the gratitude that we have this option, then know that it is normal. It is normal to feel all these things. It is normal to also grieve for your children who are missing out on their school year and your friends and the people around you that you love as we sit. And the thing that we can do is be in our home so that we can continue to flatten the curve. That is how I'm feeling. At least I'm feeling these ebbs and flows of my emotions. And today I'm just immensely grateful for each of you, Uh, Riley and I and the girls we are praying for you. Um, So just know that, know that you are so loved as you sit in your home, as you sit isolated in social distancing, as you also walk this, know that you are so loved. We love you so much, and it is such an honor to do this with you every week, knowing that we're going to come out of this, hopefully, we will come out of this as a home church stronger and more in tuned and intentional with each other. So I wanted to give you a heads up. We're doing this for the first time. This is an experiment on Friday, tomorrow, April 3rd at 7 p.m. We're just going to hop into a Zoom call and hang out and check in with each other. All the login information is in our church group on faithlife.com. I added a password to the Um, Zoom room because we have seen several Zoom rooms in the tech world get um, essentially infiltrated and really nasty stuff um, distributed to the viewers. So there's a password. It's in our church group. And our very own Tanner is leading the youth Zoom room hangout. In fact, I made this slide. This slide looks way better than the last slide I made. So we're going to have to edit out some things. I don't even know what happened, to be honest. (laughs) Doesn't this one just look significantly more appealing? And also in this time, if New Legacy Linden is your church, is your community, we are your people, please continue to go to our website, www.newlegacylinden.com and hit support, then go to our giving link. Um, We have been able to be immensely generous as a home church in this time to the people in need in our community. And that's because of the generous givers in our community, but also in our parent church. So thank you so much. Please continue to tithe and give offerings to our church. So we're going to continue our series this week in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. And I loved hearing what Martha taught last week. It was a blessing to me and a reminder for me in the idea of persecution and just recognizing that those who follow Christ will experience persecution. So if you want to open your Bible up with me, I'm super excited to continue what Martha was teaching on. So Matthew 13, verses, Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to be in a, to be, to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and said, "This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so we can go to the villages and so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves." But Jesus said, "That isn't necessary. You feed them." "But but we only have 5 loaves of bread and 2 fish," they answered. "Bring them here," he said. Then he told the crowd to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciple picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About five thousand men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Now, will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, even in the midst of a pandemic. Lord, I pray over every person who is listening to this message. God, in the midst of the grief in the ebbs and flow of how we feel in this quarantine, would your presence be before us, behind us, beside us as we navigate what this looks like? God, I pray that the message that I share tonight, that I would not get in the way of it, and Lord, that you would remind us that you are ever so present, even in these times. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want us to start in in verse 13, and we're gonna go uh, with the sections 13, 14. So, as soon as Jesus heard the news, what news? Well, hear the news about what Harold did to John the Baptist. And if you listen to Martha's sermon last week, or if you just look a couple of verses above the verses that we are reading tonight from your Bible, you'll realize that John, right before this set of verses, John the Baptist was killed by Harold because he opposed um, what Harold did, which was marry his brother's wife. So there was a, there was persecution happening. Harold heard about Jesus and thought that Jesus was. John reincarnate, And so Jesus hears this news. He's hearing what's going on. He's sensing that um, things, are, things are coming down the pipeline. And so it says that Jesus left to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and they, and healed their sick. And what's really interesting is like, it, it makes sense, right? At this point in Jesus's ministry, there were crowds gathering around him. So it made sense that he would want to be alone, if only for a little bit, to be alone with God, the father. He's human because God, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's human. He needs rest. Also, we just read that Jesus heard what happened to John and probably didn't want to stir up some unnecessary attention at that time because it was not time. But most importantly, something that Jesus displays to us continually in in the biblical narratives is that Jesus knew that before he could meet with people, he had to make it a priority to establish healthy patterns of retreating and being alone with God. And this was something that super challenged me, super challenged challenged me greatly during this time was that even before we can think about pouring out into other people, we have to be so intentional about being with God and allowing him to pour into us because we can only pour out what is poured into. And I believe that if we are not wise and mindful in doing this, in being alone, retreating and being alone with God, we will begin to go and run on empty, that we see that there's a time and a place where things do not go according to plan. You see, Jesus had a plan to be alone, but what happened was that he began to gather a crowd, and he had compassion for them. He was moved by their needs, and so he pivoted from his plan, and he began to heal them. He began to heal their sick. He began to physically restore them. That if I look at my life, we look at our lives, nothing in our lives ever really stick to plan. But if anything is interrupted in our life, would it be opportunities to show compassion to the sick? To bring preaching and teaching to those who need to know that Jesus loves them so much. If there was ever a time to pivot, would it be for the sake of the kingdom? And what's interesting in here, just heads up, this story about Jesus feeding the multitude is in in the other gospels. And if I've taught you anything, we remember that context is key, but also certain things to keep in mind when you're reading the Bible. If you're seeing repetitive, if you're seeing repetition of stories and narratives, that is because they're trying to communicate that this is very important. So the story of Jesus feeding the multitude is immensely important. In Matthew, it recounts that Jesus healed the sick. He had compassion and he healed them. In Mark, it recounts that Jesus was teaching people. And in Luke, it says that he did both. That the story of the miraculous healing of the thousands being in multiple gospels shows us that this is the part where we should hit pause and slow down and marinate in what these verses are telling us. Because I can tell you, I have heard this story hundreds, if not thousands of times. Yet as I was preparing and praying and just soaking in the study of these set of verses, things began to come to light that I have never seen before. And I I had to remember that when I'm seeing in the Gospels, Accounts of what Jesus was doing multiple times in multiple places. It means that the writers wanted us to stop and tune in and listen. And so Jesus wanted to be alone, but he had compassion. So he began to heal. He pivoted from his plans. And we see what happens next is that he was healing people. And in verse 15, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves and two fish, they answered. And what I love about that, we only have this. This is what we have. And what is interesting to me in these verses, in these next couple of verses, is that he was healing. It was getting late. It made sense that the disciples would say, well, it's late. We should send them home. Because if you know anything, Jesus even said he didn't have a place to call home. He was traveling around his disciples. They were traveling around and they were preaching and teaching and seeing the sick be healed. It was not like they were flush with cash. So it made sense that the disciples would say, okay, now it's time to send them home. But what I love about Jesus is that invitation to be stretched. That it is by his grace that he invites his disciples to participate in the extraordinary. Because for them at this point, large crowds gathering to hear Jesus teach, that wasn't out of the ordinary. People were starting to hear about Jesus. They were coming to be healed and set free. They were meeting opposition and persecution. So it made sense. Okay, now it's time to send them home because we don't have all the food to feed them. But Jesus says, you feed them. And I just think, bold move, Jesus. You know their hearts. You know exactly how much money your group has. But yet it is by his grace he invites the disciples to do something to stretch their faith. And I think that is just what it's like to live with Jesus that Jesus is continually inviting us, giving us opportunities to participate in the extraordinary. And the reality is that when something is in our hands, it's ordinary. But when something is in the hands of Jesus. It becomes extraordinary. So what does Jesus do next? After the disciples say, but we don't have, but we don't have the resources. We only have five loaves and two fish. How are we gonna feed when we learn to be thousands of people? So Jesus in verse 19 says, then he told the people to sit down on the grass Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, but afterwards, the disciple picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. So what we see is the exchange of Jesus inviting the disciples to participate. The disciples saying, but we don't have what it takes to do this. So Jesus takes control and he shows the disciples what is possible in the hands of God. That it is miracle. It's it's a reminder to us, to me, to we, to our community in this time that miracles don't happen when we bring people to us. Miracles happen when we bring people to Jesus. Miracles happen when we bring people to Jesus. So let's not get distracted by all the things. In fact, I think that this pandemic has showed the American church, the things that we have allowed to distract us from bringing people to Jesus, because maybe our agenda has gotten more focused on bringing people to our gathering instead of bringing people into the into the very presence of God in every arena that we are meant to go into. Because what what I saw when um, we heard from our governor that gatherings of two hundred and fifty, like no more than 250 and then it was 50 and then it was 10 and then it was social distancing stay home be safe this realization that church the way that we've always done church cannot continue we cannot physically gather in in hundreds in 20s in 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 mass gatherings of any sort and i think what it reminded us the church is that we Are the church. The church was not canceled because we couldn't gather. What I am seeing is creativity and innovation in the hands and minds of believers as they partner with God to do something extraordinary, to overcome, to serve those in their neighborhood. And I am believing that miracles are happening because it is no longer about bringing people to us. We are reminded of that right now. Us can't gather in groups outside of our homes, let alone inside of our homes. It is about bringing people to Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. You see, Jesus takes the bread. He blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread. So after the disciples said, but we only have this, Jesus beckons everyone to come and sit down in the grass, which by the way, I in, in my mind when I originally saw this or imagined it, when Jesus tells them to come and sit in the grass, it In my mind, I thought, this is one giant picnic. You have thousands of people sitting in probably small groups because Jesus told them to sit down. But as I studied in my books about this, I realized that the Greek word used in verse 19 was a command to sit down, which literally meant to recline. That the bread and fish, they were basic Galilean rations, but this was not going to be an ordinary meal. Because remember when it's in our hands, it's ordinary. But Jesus takes it into his hands. That the command to sit down, it means to recline, and you recline at a banquet. This, this was no ordinary picnic. This was alluding to the messianic banquet, the reclining, the come. Be, sit down. And when Jesus took the bread and he blessed it, in Jewish tradition, it was the head of the Jewish family that blessed the food. So here, instead of this picnic that we might imagine in this field, this is a moment where Jesus asserted who he was by how he served the people. That he took what was ordinary in the hands of man and made it extraordinary in his hands. That this was not just some picnic. This was an allusion to the messianic banquet that come, recline. This is not an ordinary meal. I am going to show you something. And when I bless the bread, I am showing you that I am the head of what is happening here. And that order that we see in the following verses about how he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. That is just a foretaste of the central act of worship of the emergent Christian community, us. That is that, that foretaste of the Eucharist, of communion. And so something that I want you to do tonight or today, wherever you're at today, I want to, to encourage you to make it a priority to take communion. Even if it's taking communion by yourself, I pray that there will be that, this moment soaked in the presence of God where we remember that Jesus' body was put on a cross. It was broken and it was given to us. And that moment will be soaked with the recognition that God is in control. God was in control when Jesus was on the cross. God was in control when he was resurrected from the grave. God is in control right now. Just like Jesus was in control of this narrative of what was happening with all these people. That he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and then he gives. And then he gives a bread to the disciples. So another invitation for the disciples to participate in what he's doing. And I just love this because I feel like this is that, that reminder for us that Jesus continually invites us to participate in the extraordinary. And we have a decision to make of whether or not we will participate. So he gives the disciples the bread and the food to distribute. And everybody sat down. They ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, there was leftover and when I was reading this, I just, re- I remember these two Old Testament passages of feeding miracles. I mean, the thing that we see here is just Jesus in the midst of this, Jesus moving in the midst of this, that these two Old Testament narratives, passages that we see is when God feeds the people in Egypt, he feeds them manna. He feeds them bread in their journey across the desert. And then when Elisha had this miracle feeding experience, and I just think this was not just a moment that is about provision. Because when I was taught the story of Jesus feeding the multitude. It was, it was tied to this idea of provision. That Jesus provides. Miraculously he provides. And I agree. This is a story about provision. But I also believe. That this is a story about power. It is a story showcasing the power authority of Jesus Christ. And even with all the authority he had, he graciously invites us to participate with him in the miracle. He didn't have to ask the disciples to feed them first. He could have just said, let me show you. But he says, why don't you feed them? He was stretching them. And when they responded, we don't have what it takes. Essentially, we only have five loaves and two fish. He says, okay. And then he shows them, and then after he blesses the bread, breaks it, he gives it to the disciples to give to the people to distribute it. And there was so much that there was left over that this is also showcasing the power of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus invites the disciples to be a part of this miracle, I believe that the story is talking also about what it's like to partner with God. That Jesus will continually invite us to walk on paths where our faith has to be stretched. That it has to be challenged. Where when we see the illogical, he will ask us to trust him in the illogical. Because the logical was that it was getting late, we should start sending people home so they can feed themselves. It's like when you throw a party and you're you're pretty sure you, you you don't have what it takes to feed everybody a full lunch or a full meal. You do it during times of day where people are snacking, so afterwards they can go home and feed themselves. And the that that makes sense. That was logical, but here it is. Jesus, is like, let me show you. Let me show you, and let me work in the illogical, because. <coughs> This is where your faith is stretched. And we are, when we are truly partnering with God, he will bring us into spaces and places where our faith is stretched because we have to rely on him to move. We have to rely on him to provide. We have to rely on him to make a way because if he doesn't make a way, nothing is happening. So, this story is not just about miraculous provision. It is about it, but it's not only about provision. It is about the power of Jesus Christ and it's about his invitation for us to partner with him. And we usually end. Our time together. And this is just what I miss so much about our gatherings together. Besides the delicious food, I definitely miss that. But one of my favorite parts is when we would do takeaways. When we would go around the living room and we would share the thing that stuck out to us. What God showed us during the message. What we felt during the time together. So if you're with other people, I would encourage you to continue to do your takeaway. But I wanted to pivot and add challenges to the end. Challenges for the week to come. Challenges even in your own home. When I messaged you earlier this week and asked if I could pray for you, if there was prayer requests, an overwhelming overwhelming response was the prayer of patience. And I echo that too in my own home. So this challenge, the challenges that I have is so that we could be stretched so we can become more like Christ. And we can go out into our neighborhoods. At socially safe distances. And serve people well. Because Here's the thing. The disciples in that scenario. They had to trust. That Jesus was going to do something miraculous. They've seen him do miraculous things. Before this point. I don't think they would be too shocked. But in their hands the five loaves and the two fish was ordinary but when Jesus took it into his own hands it became extraordinary and they had to have faith and trust that Jesus was going to do something because he invited everyone to recline down and to participate in this beautiful beautiful foreshadowing of the messianic banquet so the faith and trust that they had in Jesus in this, in this biblical story, my first challenge to you, to us, is how can we grow in our faith and trust in Jesus this week? What situations has God allowed us to be in that will stretch us beyond what we even believe is capable for ourselves. And what's interesting is that it seems so clear, all of our answers. COVID-19, that is how my faith and trust in Jesus is stretched. But I ask you to consider and look deep, search deep, into the places and spaces where your faith and trust in Jesus Is stretched and how can you grow in that? My second challenge how can we help someone else in our church grow in their faith and trust in Jesus this week? Riley and I had a very honest talk about the reality that there will be churches that will not survive the pandemic. For a multitude of reasons, the reasons we talked about was just finances. And I shared with Riley that it will not be finances that would affect whether or not our church will make it through the pandemic. I believe the measure of our health and our community Is right now. And it has nothing to do with finances. It has everything to do. With how we are helping each other. Grow. And our faith and trust in Jesus. This week. And for weeks. To come. And my last challenge. To all of us. Is how can we help. Someone in our neighborhood grow in their faith and trust in Jesus this week? How can we help someone grow in their faith and trust in God's provision, in God's power, and in God's invitation to partner with them to do kingdom work? How can we help someone in our neighborhood do that? And I end my message to you with a prayer and a blessing. My blessing over our church is that God's face would shine upon us. That his presence would be with us in the ebbs and flow of our grief, of our gratitude, of our joy, of our pain that he would be with us continually as we face the brokenness within ourselves and possibly even the brokenness in the people that we are quarantined with. And as we meet that brokenness and we experience it, would we be aware of how much God loves us in the midst of our brokenness? And it is that love that we have from God that we pour out to each other. So church, I pray that our faith would be challenged, our faith and trust in Jesus would be challenged when in the realm of provision, in the realm of believing in the power of God. And would we be challenged to say yes, When Jesus gives us opportunities to partner with him. In Jesus name. Amen. I love you so much. We miss you greatly. And we are so grateful that we get to do this life with you.